to the open side. Karim Bete. Lovely here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Bete. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Good evening and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Ando, and we have a very special episode for you tonight. I'm joined by regular Mitch, and pretty <laughs> soon we have a special guest, a very special guest, Jono Lance. But before he comes onto the pod, Mitch, how are you, mate? You had a good week? Yeah, pretty good week. Not too good a night last night watching the Wallabies. Was expecting, nah. was hoping for a victory, uh, probably buying in a little bit too much into Eddie's you know, pre-game sledges and and G-ups and was expecting the the Wallabies to at least come within hopefully 15 points, but no, not not to be. But there were some positives in there. It wasn't as bad as it could have been and it wasn't all doom and gloom. So looking forward to at least breaking that down a bit and trying to pick out the the bits of gold and see what we can put together for next week. Easy. Well, tonight we have three uh, nice and quick. Well, actually not quick. Because understandably with us, we're going to go into detail with this. We're going to talk through all the different permutations of what this game uh, played out to be and what it means moving forward. So we're going to review the Bledisloe match, Australia versus New Zealand. We're going to look at the predictions for Bledisloe match two over in Dunedin before we then jump into your questions and comments in the locker room. So thank you to everybody for getting involved and responding to that. And lastly, as always, Always, we have two simple calls to action. Number one, join our Discord channel to be a part of the best Australian rugby community going around. On Saturday night during the game, I was at home watching it on my own and had the laptop open in front of me, chatting to everybody during the game whilst watching. It was great to just feel, even though um, I, I was at home looking after my boys, great to feel like I had some other mates around that I was watching the game with. So get on board our discord channel and then lastly consider going to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby and supporting us with a one-off or monthly payment so mitch mate we've got johnny lance on the line let's not keep him waiting any longer and jump on into our bledisloe match review how does that sound let's go let's go And now we're going to be jumping into the Bledisloe Cup review, and we are joined by Jono Lance of Western Force fame. Jono, how are you, my friend? Good, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Bit of, bit of a shame we're not talking about a Wallabies win, but always happy to come on and talk rugby. Mate, it is an absolute pleasure. Now, obviously, you have uh, hung up the boots, as it were, with the Force and from your playing career, but you're still involved in the game, and we're still seeing your uh, face and your commentary or hearing your commentary on Stan Sport now and then. So how are you keeping busy now that you have retired officially from the game. Yeah, as you said, I was doing the, the sideline commentary for the Force games, which was a, a great way to stay involved in the game. Obviously, um, being over here in Perth um, to play for the Force um, when we were booted from the comp and then also help um, get them back on track um, after the COVID years. Um, it's great to, to be involved in rugby um, and to be on the sideline. Um, it was a good reminder that I'm enjoying retirement. I was yeah worried sitting on the sideline might get the the hair on the back of my neck tingling and I'd be thinking I should be out there, but 
yeah, I was pretty happy watching the game and, and commentating it um, to, to be sitting there. Um, but yeah, as I said, great way to stay involved in the game and also um, realised it's quite, it's quite tough. It's pretty easy to get lost in an answer when you're also watching the game as you're talking about it. So I, I really enjoyed yeah. doing that for Stan. Uh, yeah. What's the, bit, what's the best thing you've learned since doing the commentary stuff? Um, I think it's, it's, it's more like after one or two home games, I was a lot more comfortable knowing when mm. I could come in and talk. Um, but it's more like when you're talking when the game's in motion, it's, as I said, it's, it's quite easy with the atmosphere of the, the crowd and looking at the monitor in front of you, you're sort of halfway through an answer and something happens yeah. and you can really get lost. So yeah, I found, found myself a few times thinking to myself in my own head as I'm talking, like, oh my God, get out of this, get out of this comment. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thought I did all right. Had enough people say, well done. So I was happy with that. And yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, I can do it again for Stan next year. Well, here's hoping, mate, that would be awesome to have you back on. And why don't we, after that kind of good news, good chat, just rip the Band-Aid off and jump into the Bledisloe result, which was a 7-38 to defeat against the Wallabies and basically we got pumped. Things were looking good for the first half, died down after about the 35th minute with Alan Alatoa's serious Achilles injury uh, and then we came out and performed pretty well within the start of the second half but weren't able to come away with it. Mitch, starting with you, mate, what was your instant reaction at the time of the full-time whistle? Oh, disappointment is the is the first one. I think the, the stat that stands out for me and sort of sums the game up for the Wallabies is they had six entries into the All Blacks 22 and came away with points once. And the All Blacks had 12 entries into our 22 and came away with 38 points. And as good as we can say that they were in parts in the game and kept put a lot of pressure on the, the All Blacks, the fact is that we had opportunities, particularly early in that second half, and we just weren't able to apply that pressure to the point of getting points. Um, and as a Wallabies fan, we, we know... The, the talent that these players have and the ability that they they have shown in Super Rugby this year, what they can do with ball in hand. And it was just frustrating that they weren't able to, I guess, put the All Blacks under more pressure. Definitely. And for me, it was, um I, I finished the match just incredibly downcast and frustrated. I could barely watch the last 10 minutes of the game. We were just getting pumped so badly. And I'm not kind of blaming the players within this moment. They were out on their feet really hard and trying circumstances with two yellow cards and major injuries to your two tight head props makes it a pretty uh, challenging circumstance without without those injuries in the first place. But I was just, yeah, really, really disappointed. Jono, did you have a similar kind of feeling at the end of the game or were there some moments of hope for you that you saw from the team? Yeah, I think there's there's two sides of it. Um, I've, to be honest, like one comment for me is like, I've never seen a more disappointed playing group after a game of rugby. Um in a weird way, I think that's a good sign. Um, yeah, I've never seen more solemn interviews, guys who um, had put it all out there, as you said. I think rugby's a bit of a funny game. It's um, one of the few sports, I think, where if you try too hard, it's detrimental to your performance. And I think we saw that last night. If you look at the, how the All Blacks attack, it's almost like just bodies in motion at 70%. And then when they go into contact or when the, the gap is there, they explode and go to 100%. Whereas you watch the Wallabies and granted, it was like some really physical, good, hard carries, but everything's at like top explosive power. Like Angus Bell's carries were awesome, but you have mm. to think, how's that going to carry into the, to the back end of a game? 
Um, so yeah, for, for me, one of the the great things in terms of a rugby fan was just how clinical the All Blacks were for, for 80 minutes. Yeah. I'd love to see a stat for New Zealand and All Black teams for points difference in every test match and game for the last 10 years from the 50th to the 70th minute. Mm. Cause I wouldn't be surprised if it's the most lopsided score line you've ever seen their ability mm. to just flick the switch in that 55th minute mark is um, the reason that they're ranked fourth in the world, but everyone probably still says they're the best team in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also they're, the Wallabies, that, that first 10 minutes of the second half, were, were quite dominant. Like, there was a really good phase of that 10, 15 minutes, and they didn't get points, and I think that's what tipped it over the edge. Mm. And yeah. there's a line break that sums it up. It was a bit later in the game, but Izzy Parisi throws a really good ball to Angus Bell, who puts the hammer down for the try line and gets, I think, five or six metres from the line. And there's eight All Blacks defending the try line in the 65th, 70th minute when they're ahead by 30. Like, yeah, watching mm. that side of it was pretty impressive. It's as I, I was a disappointed Australian fan because of um, how into it everyone got and a big MCG crowd and all that. But I took positives from how annoyed they were at the end of the game, how disappointed, <laughs> which mm. is a weird thing to say. Um, I really liked um, some of what Carter Gordon did. Um, the first half, we saw a lot of Samu and Jordi Pataya. Um, Mark Nwangani Tawasi was like dangerous. So there's plenty in that first half. And I think if Valentini scores in that 45th minute, 50th minute, we're sitting here having a much different conversation. But I think yeah. they put out everything into that first 10 minutes of the second half. Yeah. And when they got no points and the All Blacks scored real easy, I think that was the game. There was an interesting shot think... at the end of the game of the Wallabies huddle, and at that point, I believe Tate, Derm- Tate McDermott was off doing the interview with Morgs um, for the post-match, and so it had Quade Cooper was stepping in as the sort of interim captain and really addressing the players, very animated. It's not the sort of Quade Cooper we've seen in the past few years with the Wallabies. He seems to have take, generally takes more of a backward step. He's obviously a leader because of his experience, but we haven't seen him really addressing the team and sort of addressing the boys as intently as he was there. Jono, you you did play with Quaid back at the Reds. What what kind of messages do you think he would have been saying? And um, yeah, what as a player, how can those types of messages after a big loss like that sort of bore you on to turn things around in the following weeks? Um, yeah, Quaid he's he's always been like a very good talker in groups like that, and especially in these last four or five years. Obviously, I haven't played with him, but played against him in Japan. Um, just. I suppose it is a young Wallaby group and he's still Quade Cooper. Um, so for a lot of those young guys who have looked up to him, to have him, what I gather was comments of like, rem- like taking this feeling, like no one's happy and spirit, spirit in you to like do the extra bit of recovery during the week, extra bit of tape, like just do the one, use this shitty feeling now to do all the one percentage during the week and, take positives from the game wherever you can find them to just to, to stay upbeat because as you said like it's a quick turnaround to go to Dunedin now and the beauty of rugby is in this instance you get seven days to do it again but that's only the beauty of it if you can mm. fix it flush it and get rid of it 
and move on. Mm. And I think a lot of his messaging would have been about, yeah, remember the feeling to use it to drive you this week, but we need to look at what we did good, look at what we did bad, but move on quickly. Yep. And I think that's going to be one of the key things we're going to talk about later on is the question of, well, where did the team go to from here for next week in Dunedin, considering the kind of context for the year, the players available and and where Eddie is at with his smash and grab job at the World Cup in September. But Mitch, we might bring things back into a bit more of the present and a bit more of the moments within a game that you think were defining within the match. And so, I mean, people can pretty obviously point to, I don't know, that second minute absolute smash on Tate McDermott by Scott Barrett uh, to force the try to Frizzell. You could be looking at Alatoa's Achilles injury or as Jono was saying, Valentini not getting over in, that was about the 48th or something like that minute within the second half. Um, what is it for you that was a really significant moment within this game that turned things in the favour of the Kiwis? I think in um, highlighting Tupo's injury, and the way that that whole injury was handled, uh, resulting in the yellow card and us going down a player for 10 minutes, which was quite unnecessary um, in the, the term of the game. Tupo was clearly struggling after that first run that he, he did early in the second half uh, when he did injure his, calf, or injure his rib and he was lying on the ground for a long while. The medics came and, and saw to him. He got up, he played on, he packed another scrum. And from that scrum, it looked like he needed to come off. There was some decision-making, whether it was through comms from the referee team, whether he wasn't allowed to come off because it wasn't a HIA and he had to play on or what the situation was. But he packed one final scrum and then ended up giving away. Well, the, the scrum was set and it was okay, but then he went in and gave away that hit on, I think it was Takiyaho at the time, and gave away the yellow card because he mm. purely he couldn't get his arm up. He had a broken rib. He couldn't get down low enough. Um and then afterwards, immediately afterwards, they subbed him off and brought um, brought Bell. Bell back on, who then had yep. to go off anyway to serve out the yellow card period. That whole situation was really confusing for me, sitting on the sideline. I was like, why, if, if he's so injured, why can't we bring Bell back on? Why can't he come off in that instance? And that's ended yep. up what happening anyway. Uh, we give away a yellow card there from just an inability to do anything differently. And we're down a player again. For the second time, we know that the All Blacks will punish you when it's 15 on 15, let alone 14 on 15. Um, so, yeah, that was head scratching at that point. And they scored all of, most of their points within those, the two 10-minute periods where we down a player. Yep. Yeah, and that was that was really key, obviously. Um, there's this interesting thing where we actually won the penalty count for the first time in the international calendar <laughs> ever uh, this year. Ever. So no. that's good. That's good, um, but we still got two yellow cards, and so that was, yeah, just one of the defining elements of the game. And I think, as on, you said, most of the points were scored against us. On um, yeah, on your comments there, the the thing that I sort of found confusing as well with Nella was sometimes with those rib injuries, like you just need a physio or a doctor to say like you're fine, like you're just going to have to muscle up here. And so that's obviously what he's been told. And he's gone and scrummed really well, but we kept the ball at the back of the scrum. Mm, yes. trying to, I don't know if we were trying to get a scrum penalty or something. For me, it was a, that would have been a case of like, get the ball, win the ball, get it out. So Nella doesn't yeah, have he's to scrum. Clearly, we ended he's up packing, playing with two, two less ribs. Let's just yeah, get it out of there. We ended up packing two more scrums in that sort of section there, which... Yeah, for, that was confusing for me. I thought it would have been a 
because he scrummed really well the first one. I was quite surprised. I was like, okay, his ribs yeah. are good here. Like it's yeah, going to just right. hurt. Um, but we didn't get the ball out and then eventually it folded and that was a repack, repack. And I, that wouldn't have been good for the, the ribs as well to do three scrums back to back. So I, I agree with you that being an interesting um, time in the game and just like inter- yeah, little moments like that where it could have been just get the ball out. Yeah, definitely. Well, why don't we move into a couple of the players that stood out to us for positive contributions and in some areas for improvement too. And I might kick this one off and talk about players who impressed and you can't go any further than the player who you mentioned just before, Mitch, Angus Bell. His return from injury, starting return from injury was immense. He was probably the best um, Australian player on the pitch. Incredible running stats. So 13 runs for 53 metres with one clear break and five defenders beaten. And he also racked up 16 tackles with no missed tackles either. So it just shows you the contribution that he had in the loose whilst also our scrum prior to the injuries uh, later within the game was also, it wasn't dominant. We did win the first scrum, but I wouldn't say it was dominant throughout the game, but it kind of did hold its own until the injuries came into play. So I think Angus Bell just shows his value within the Wallabies setup. Uh, Mitch, who was someone that impressed for you? It's a bit hard to say anyone's kind of really impressed, but I thought there were better performances in, than others. I thought Andrew Kellaway coming back from injury uh, played well, um, but he still didn't look like he was 100% match fit, similar to Tupo. He made a few decisions, particularly in space, where going back and reviewing it, he probably would have looked to use the players around him, held the ball and went into contact a few times when... There was a player on his hip. One that comes to mind was Nick Frost was on his inside. And we know what Frosty's yep. like once he gets the ball and gets space, he can he can take off. So at that point in the game, you were kind of hoping that someone was going to spark something from nothing. And yeah, taking the ball into contact probably wasn't the right decision. But again, that comes by having game time and match fitness and match awareness, which he hasn't had for the past few months. All right, Jono. So we've got Kells and we've had Belly, who's someone for, for you who stood up within this game. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with your two. I thought Kellaway was solid, like, and that's a word, but that you can use mm. as a fullback that is a compliment. I think, mm. like, some really testing high balls he took, um, some good support lines, and that on the back of not much footy. Same as Belly, pretty impressive performance, having not played since February. Um, I'd love to see um, Angus Bell get his hands ball in two hands a little bit more and do the dummy and show and go a little bit instead of the tuck and carry because I mean the ability for him to make meters on just a tuck and carry against just the the physical beasts that the All Blacks are is pretty impressive so when he starts to just get a bit more comfortable doing that he's going to take his game to another level for me I thought um I liked the the look of the the, the back line in the, the first half and mm. I'll mm-hmm. talk about Mark Nawangani Tawase, Marky Mark. Um, his ability to get involved in the first half was like just awesome. And every time he got the ball, you felt like something was going to happen. Um, I think the next step for him in his game is a lot of the times you'll see like um, Will Jordan will get the ball on the other side off his wing and it's like injecting at the perfect time to draw and pass mm-hmm. for a try. So I think there's getting off your wing to get involved and then also getting off your wing to get involved at the right time. But I thought Mark was, yeah, sometimes just getting it off the hip of Tate and still beating four people. I think one of them led to a clean line break. So I thought he was really dangerous. And I think 
it's probably the first time in a long time you, you you pick a Wallabies team on the Thursday and opposition are reading the team list going, shit, we're going to have to deal with him on the weekend. I think we've had a very nice team list for teams to read for the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like all really good players, but sometimes you just need two guys in a team list of 15 where the opposition during the week are going to be, oh, I'm going to have to, we're going to have to tackle Samu this week. Um, geez, Mark's dangerous. Even like a someone like an Isaiah, Isaiah Parisi, like you just know when he yep. runs the ball, it's going to hurt you to make that tackle. Yeah. So it's exciting <laughs> yeah. that the Wallabies um, are picking a team now where you, you can tell the opposition's thinking, okay, they are going to be hard to tackle. Yeah. And so I guess the player for me, I'd also be saying um, as a result of just looking, we've, we've looked at some of the good stuff, but I think we also need to look at some of the players who maybe didn't play to the quality and, uh, before they wanted. We, and, sorry. Ooh, yeah. and before Ooh, we dive into in. the players that aren't going okay. too well, can I just ask John a question? Yeah. So when it. the team yeah. sheet was announced and Carter Gordon was getting his debut for the Wallabies, <laughs> what, what were your thoughts with both his name named at 10 and Tate McDermott at nine? Something we haven't seen for the Wallabies in the last few years. Pretty two yeah, rather I think, um, inexperienced players. Yeah, I I loved it. I was with Tate at the Reds in 2018 in his first year, and um, I think him and Nick White are both extremely competitive, perfect nines for the team we've got at the moment, but very different. Um, and Carter for me has been impressive all year it's not like one or two performances he's been impressive for Melbourne all year and that's on the back of a forward pack that um wasn't the most dominant in super rugby but he still performed really well and I think that's what's probably got him into the squad is Mm -hmm. his ability to to stand out in a team that um wasn't um as dominant up front or getting as good ball as some tens in the other super teams were able to get from their forward packs so I enjoyed the fact that they both got picked. I loved back in the young guys. I wouldn't be surprised if this weekend it's a Nick White, Carter Gordon halves pairing. Um, I say that because I think Carter was really good with ball in hand rugby, confident. Yep. All the passes are in front of the forwards. He was flat. He was square. Um, but he's just a bit tentative with his kicking, which is a pretty good um, only sort of blip to have in your first start as a in a test match in front of 83,000. He just sat up in a few of his kicks for his high balls that sort of only went forward five metres. A lot less pressure on his kicking game if you've got Nick White at nine. So mm, for yeah. me this weekend, I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if Carter did. I thought he was quite good. He's big, physical player, good with the ball in hand. Put a Nick White with him who can take a lot of the pressure off with that kicking game. And um, yeah, that would probably be my halves pairing for this weekend. Cool. Yeah, good good shout because that's exactly where I was going to go in terms of players who um maybe had some elements that they could have uh, improved in. And I thought it was the it was a cross field like left to right kicking off his right foot that didn't seem to be getting yeah. the depth that he was aiming for, obviously. And it resulted in the first try for the All Blacks. And actually, yeah. he did a second one um, as well near the well, end the of the first half that the field position that gained. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. even the um, kickoff, I think resulted. all. Yeah, all yep. three of those. I think he had probably four kicks where he just looked up a bit early, sat up. It's that right foot going to the right side, bit of a harder kick. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got a huge boot on him. Like his kicking game's not an issue. It's more just 
the accuracy of those kicks. And if you've got a nine who's a world-class box kicker, then that's probably not a kick Carter has to do. You get into the 15 and Nick White's putting up a box kick um, in the in the 15 channel. So, yeah, I'd if I was Carter Gordon, I'd be happily annoyed because... As yep, a player uh, in that kind of arena, when all of the everything's going on around you, Carter Gordon's a particularly young player as well. Did you ever find that there were so many things that you were thinking about that something kind of slips? And for Carter Gordon this week, it was probably the kicking. Whether you know you're thinking about getting the ball in front of your players, you, you're trying to get the set piece right, you're trying to get the the set plays all off like uh, like you practiced. That particularly for a young player, you find that it's there's one or two things that maybe gets left behind. If it trickled into his other parts of the game, I'd agree with you. I'd say yes, but I think fundamentally, like everything else he did was top quality. All his passes, as I said, were in front of the forward. He was flat. He got tackled as he passed a few times, which is um, probably something that Bernard Foley, one of his best assets, is his ability to get hit as he passes, um, which means he's square and asking questions of someone in front of him. Um, So I think if Carter's kicking had led into some rash passes or some other poor choices, I'd maybe say yes, but... I think it was just a case of his first kick he sat up and then that was just a, a bad habit that stayed into his next few ki- kicks. Um, yeah. But as I said, I don't I don't think he's got a weak kicking game at all either. I think mm. he's mm. got a really good long kicking game with Nick White. He doesn't have to do those kicks. You can just get Carter to do the, the longer kicks and you've got as Whitey putting the ball on a, on a dime from the, from the nine. Mitch, I've pointed out Carter Gordon as somebody that could maybe have uh, looked back at some areas for improvement. Who would you say also within Wallaby's team um, could reflect and find some areas to be working on? Uh, The player I'm going to say, and this isn't like a personal attack on him at all, I just don't think we utilised him well, uh, was Jordi Pattaya in the centres. And I don't think that was any fault of his own. Like he didn't drop many balls and he was pretty good in contact but we just didn't put him in space enough. And we were sort of using him similar to the way we use Karevi and expecting him to be this big ball busting carrier who's going to make meters in contact, which we know he's not that type of player. He's nimble, fast, able to get the step and the offload around players, which we didn't put him in space enough. So I don't think that was, like, he wasn't as effectual as I was hoping he would be um, in the centers, but I don't think we played him the right way either. Yeah, sure. Um, one of the things that was pretty noticeable was the lack of Len Ikatao's left boot, particularly when we're trying to clear our end zone. Um, John, as someone that would often have the kicking responsibilities, how did you see the Wallabies kicking game, particularly in their own end? I mean, it was shared between uh, Samu Karevi, Jordi Pattaya took a couple, um, Carter Gordon took a few. It just seemed that there wasn't as much um, maybe accuracy and length on the kicking game that we would see from Len Ikatao being there. Yeah, I think I think they definitely knew their roles. Um, it wasn't any panic kicks under pressure. I think it was mm. just skill execution. Um, as you said, like having a left foot in your back line is just a, a game changer for, for any team around the world. Um, so that is a, a big thing to miss. But there was a moment where Carter got the ball in his end goal and made a pass and we went shift, shift to Samu. Or, and then I think Geordie actually made the kick in the end. 
wasn't the best kick, but that was something for me that said, okay, this guy's fine at this level. Um, yep. Just calm, level-headed decision to go shift, shift in your end goal um, because it's on is exactly what you sort of you need to see from a, a young tenant in that arena. So, um, yeah, obviously the, the kicks were a bit shorter. I think seeing Carter do two high balls that were short and put us under pressure led to everyone else in the back line being a bit careful, cautious when they went for their high balls. Yeah, sure. Um, and the All Blacks yeah. did the same sort of kicks, but we're on the money with them. Yeah. It's a bit weird looking at this game now. I mean, we're on the end of a 31-point drubbing, and it's very clear that New Zealand did dominate for vast portions of the game, despite some moments where the Aussies were pretty good. But I feel like there are actually a lot of positives that we can be taking away from this game, and I don't know whether that's just because I've become used to losing as a Wallabies fan over over the last few years. I don't know if I should be accepting this or not, but I feel like there were there were glimpses of, of where this team is heading under Eddie Jones that does give me hope for the future. And Mitch, um, we were talking about this before the game that you were watching the presser <laughs> and you wanted to go into it angry at Eddie Jones and angry at what was happening. But, but talk us through what changed for you. Eddie's been saying the same thing for the past few weeks, and that is that they need to can keep putting the opposition under pressure, and that's what he wants to see from his team. And that in the first 20 minutes of this game, he was happy with the way that they did that and that they put the All Blacks under pressure, uh, I guess, other than conceding that try in, in the first or second minute of the game. But um, they were able to put the yeah put pressure on the All Blacks, but they ended up coming away and not converting their opportunities because they sort of let that pressure off and they weren't able to keep mm. the pressure sustained on the opposition for long periods of time. He spoke about it in the press conference after the Argentina game. He said that that's going to be a massive focus in this week, in this game. And the fact that they came out and they started doing that and they did that well for the first 20 minutes as a fan was exciting to see. I guess the frustration sort of seeps in when you realise that they weren't able to sustain that for the full 80 minutes. They weren't even able to sustain that for the full 35, 40 minutes. Um, And with a team like the All Blacks, they can put you under so much pressure and they can score points off nothing that if you take you drop one ball or you, you kick it out on the full once, they're going to make you punish. They're going to punish you for those simple mistakes. Yeah. Uh, I guess just the way that Eddie Jones talks, though, he's just so optimistic all the time. And he's like, he talks about how there's, he knows what needs to change. He knows we're not far away. Um, this week, he took a lot of the, the pressure and blame on himself, which was good to see. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm the coach. So I, I made the decisions. I'm the, I'm the one that, that you can blame here. Don't blame the players, that type of thing which in some ways was refreshing from the way he's been the past few weeks and the talking up the big game of coming in, winning the rugby championship, winning the Bledisloe back and now winning the World Cup and we're three from well, zero from three. Yeah, that's been pretty hard to take some of the um, the narrative that's been getting put forth, especially last week about how if I was the All Blacks, I'd be worried about the Wallabies and here we are at the end of a 31-point defeat. Uh, Jono, how does this compare to the matches against South Africa or Argentina for you? Are there signs of improvement? Are there reasons for hope? Um, I think there's clear proof that World Rugby has ticked off the All Blacks. Um, I would say that South Africa, so far, their performance in the second half shows that they also are still at that 
top tier. Um, as I said, mm. the All Blacks between the 50 and 70th minute mark are untouchable. And the Springboks went on a bit of a run in that second half and, and brought the game back from, from a loose start. Um, I wouldn't say that there's too much proof of what's going to happen in the World Cup from the Rugby Championship because of so many reasons. Um, obviously, the travel, other side of the world, but also just the way that the pools have been structured. Um, mm. The only thing that comes out of this, which is massive, is confidence. And it only takes one week for a group to get confidence. Unfortunately for the Wallabies, that's going to have to happen against the All Blacks or France. Um, yeah. But what better two teams for a squad of 36 guys to get confidence before a World Cup? Um, all it takes is one really good performance against the All Blacks next week in Dunedin or beat the beat the French in Paris and you've gone from, oh, no, we're 0-3 to, okay, we're a chance to win the World Cup here, literally in one week. So um, all I would say is well done to everyone outside of, New Zealand, who's um, woken, woken the bear that is New Zealand <laughs> rugby just in time for a World Cup because they, they're playing at a, just a different level. Um, it is awesome to watch. Like, I love watching it as a, a rugby fan. But, yeah, um, mm. I, I agree with everything you said, but only takes one week to find confidence and mm. Australian rugby still has that opportunity. And I, I'm sure... Eddie Jones and the staff of the Wallaby group at the moment are stoked that it's New Zealand and France before the World Cup starts. And that's that's something I'd love to get your insight into as, as a player because for me, going up against what are realistically the two, uh, arguably the two best teams in the world, both of them away from home as your final two games in the lead into the World Cup when you've got a new coach um yeah that the team are adapting to a new playing style do you really want to be playing two teams that are that good away from home right before the world cup or would it be better to be playing um a team which is probably not at that same level in order to have the opportunity to put together those uh, attacking phases those that defensive integrity to to be building on those combinations in a less high pressure environment what's your view on that um yeah i think i don't know i think i think our first pool game is georgia i think i read that mm. um yeah correct. the other day and like that is in a weird way people in australia don't really know but georgia is probably one of the, the great banana skin games you've ever seen because um of how good their, their set piece is so it's almost the perfect first game at a world cup because you need to perform at set piece time to win a World Cup, and Georgia's set piece is world class. Um, I think I, I read something a while ago. I don't know. It's, don't know if it holds true now because they've got a few backs um, playing. But I, it was something a while ago. It was I think Georgia had thirty-four professional rugby players, and I think thirty-one of them were front rowers. Um, <laughs> I think that might have changed a bit now. But um, for, for the Wallabies to have the All Blacks and then the French in Paris, um, it just gives them a chance where. It only takes, I mean, I said a game, but it literally can be like a, the second half against France where it all clicks and the guys go into like two weeks before the first game knowing, okay, we can beat anyone because of just a really clinical 40 minutes against the French. Um, so I think it's it's exactly what you want. Um, in saying that, last night I was saying to, 
um, during the game. I was like, I wasn't sure if Taniello had hurt his leg again. I was like, oh, this is a World Cup deciding injury here. Mm, um, yep. Especially now we've found out, I think Alan's injury is probably going to rule him out. Um, yeah. yeah, he's gone. That That's probably the, the issue of the the two really big physical games leading into it is do you need that extra game before the World Cup on the back of five rugby championship games? That's probably the only question I'd say. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. But there's no, there's yeah. no wrong or right, there's no wrong or right answer until you're two weeks into the World Cup and everyone's like, oh, that was the right answer, that was the wrong answer. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's always hindsight coming into these decisions, similar to, um, well, should Taniello have even been playing this week, this week, since he's kind of working himself back into fitness and the like. But obviously, the coaching staff aren't expecting Alatoa to go down in the 35th minute with the series injury and Nella now has to play 45 um, prior yeah. to his injury. So yeah, there's just so many things that you look at retrospectively as a point of discussion. But Mitch, where does the t- team go to from here? I'm not even just talking inherently about next week, but we've now lost the first three games under Eddie Jones. Um, there have been signs of improvement, but we've also lost two key players. Michael Hooper's injury looks to be more significant than first thought, and he might not play again before the World Cup, and he's not even a certainty for that. We also now have Alatoa, who is done. He's out for the World Cup, which absolutely sucks. A huge condolences. Um, where, where does the team go to from here in your view? So I guess I'll, I'll talk about the immediate game in Dunedin next week, uh, Bled 2. I wouldn't be surprised personally if Eddie Jones rings the changes and brings in a few players who haven't featured in the 23 yet this year but have been within the Wallaby setup for a while. Uh, players like Blake Shop, um, as I appreciate, might get a few more minutes. Um, yeah, players like that. James Slipper now becomes a very important player for the Wallabies and it almost feels at the moment like our World Cup campaign hangs on him, on his shoulders. Mm. If Michael Hooper is not available, Alan Alatoa is definitely not available. Um, those are our two captains. James Slipper is the next one. So I wouldn't be surprised if he rests him this week and we we bring in someone else purely because if James just Slipper just gets so injured this him. week, yeah, if, we, if James Slipper gets injured this week for what is, as hard as it is to say, a dead rubber match, doesn't mean anything now. The Bledisloe has gone. It's not part of the rugby championship. You probably want to play him against France just to see what that European style is going to bring and how he's going to match there. Um, but we saw how he went against the All Blacks this week and we know how we can match up against the Kiwis from Super Rugby all season. What it means for the Wallabies moving forward, particularly with Michael Hooper not available, I'm kind of worried about that seven jersey and whether that calls Eddie Jones to bring back Pete Samu. Uh, there was some interesting discussion when he first didn't name him last week in the squad. And Tom Hooper was good in some elements of the game, but didn't have much of an on-ball presence and wasn't really playing an out-and-out seven role for the Wallabies this week. And I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to back to Fraser McCright next week. Um, yep. Yeah, there's going to be some key changes, I'd mm. imagine, coming coming up. And I wouldn't be surprised either to see a fairly inexperienced All Blacks team named next week as well. All right, so Tom Hooper, just to put a few stats in there because he had a pretty impressive statistical game, although your comment about the on-ball presence is is valid. He had 30 tackles throughout the match and also made 
uh, four runs as well. Bobby Valentini, 12 runs for 44 metres um, with 20 tackles. So some really impressive work rate there from some of our back rowers. Uh, Jono, there was the, the idea of wrapping James, Slimmer, James Slipper in cotton wools to make sure we don't lose him prior to the World Cup. Thoughts on that? I was thinking it before you said it, and then when you said it, I was like, oh, can you do that? <laughs> um, <laughs> but to be honest, Who, you, I, think, I, think you, I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, I think it's, it's a weird one. Um, it's almost like you have to do it, but either way, you'll probably be crucified for it. So I wouldn't be surprised if he plays um, and they just get him off at 50 minutes or whatever. But, yeah, I, I definitely think we're going to see two pretty um, different teams this week as both groups get set for the World Cup. Um, no game against Australia New Zealand, like a dead rubber, but yeah. you're also trying to work out who you're picking in your 33 to, I think, 33, 34, whatever the number is. Um, you're trying to work out who you're picking to, to be in France for six weeks. Um, and New Zealand are going to want to do that just as much as the Wallabies, just as much as Argentina and South Africa have wanted to do that as well. So I think we're going to see a lot of players um, get an opportunity to, to say, yeah, I need to go. Uh, in terms of the, the seven side of it, um, yeah, it was a, definitely an interesting selection. I actually haven't seen too much of um, Tom Hooper pl play in Super Rugby. Um, mm. For me... It's a weird one because the seven jerseys for 15 years in Australian rugby has almost been frustratingly good for a lot of the players. First peaked. And the first yeah, peaked as well. And someone that comes to mind for me is like Liam Gill must be sitting there going, what's going on? But I don't know what Gilly's up to at the moment, but if Liam Gill's a chance to get picked in the, to the Wallabies because they need a seven, I would love to see that because he's someone that anyone who's played with knows he's world like one of the best sevens in the world. I know that in his time in France, the French referees used to give him their three points for their awards every week he played. Um, so for me, Gilly, if you're listening to this, um, get that <laughs> Japanese holiday beer belly off and give Eddie yeah. a call because I think he's someone that actually would be the perfect person to come in for a hooper who's potentially out. Um, just Gilly and Pocock were probably the two best on ballers in Australian rugby for a while there. Gilly gives you that mm -hmm. chance to have skill. And this is me spitballing and people say, oh, it's because you're mates with him. But yeah, I'm mates <laughs> with him. But <laughs> get him <laughs> in the squad. Yeah. yeah. How's he in the lineup, mate? Does he go well up in the air? Oh, Gilly hit a drop goal against the Bulls in Pretoria from 45 metres out. He goes, around, he can do anything on a rugby field, so he's fine in the line out. Absolutely brilliant. Well, that is the call of what will be happening next week. Or there was, um, the there was a stat. There was a stat that that was announced um, while they were reading the team sheet this week for the Wallabies that just said that the reserve All Blacks had more caps combined than the Wallabies starting. I think it might have even been the 23. Um, which just goes to show the depth and the disparity in experience between this All Blacks team and yeah. the Wallabies at the moment. I do think we're going to see combinations changed for the All Blacks this week. Whether Eddie Jones uses that, uh, it's, it's it's a difficult decision because whether you can either go two ways here, you can also use it as an opportunity to rest some of your bigger names, give some other wider squad players an opportunity to play, 
or you name your best 23, give them the combinations together and hope that you can get a victory on New Zealand soil, which is just going to potentially be that switch that flicks leading into the World Cup. So I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie doesn't make mass changes either and names fairly similar 23. Yeah, my yeah. um my prediction for it personally is that I would hope that there aren't going to be a huge amount of changes because I think that if New Zealand does make wholesale changes, which I wouldn't surprise me if they do, they've won a blood toy, they've won a rugby championship, um, and they're probably doing wanting to do a similar thing to give some fringe players opportunities to push their case for uh, World Cup squad selection, then we might actually have an opportunity to perform really well against a bit of a dis- comparatively disjointed mm. All Blacks team. Um, I'm not going to say they're going to be poor by any stretch of the imagination, but there might be more opportunities for us to exert our gameplay and um, style playing upon them. So part of me hopes we just get more time under the saddle of players like Simon Karevi, Quade Cooper and the like, just to give them more chance alongside the players that they're going to be playing with at the World Cup. Um, But I I guess that um, calls us... You go, John. I think think Samu will probably um, be in the team just because of how little he's played um, Mm. this year. and I think I wouldn't be surprised if it's him and Geordie starting again to work on that combination. Um, I think it's probably the forward pack where you might see more of the um, potential to rest guys because um, the back line still has a lot of fit guys um, and a lot of guys who, yeah. who need some some minutes. Um, but I, I'd, yeah, I think Samu sort of needs to play because um, to get his confidence, but just to get his passing game going, I think that was something that, probably took Samu to one of the best, if not the best 12 in world rugby was he's always been world-class ball carrier. And then he, he developed this passing game, which makes his ball carrying so much more <laughs> tough to defend. Um, so for him to have another game under the belt, to just get that passing back under him, which brings Geordie into the game a, a bit more. Yeah. I think that that's a great opportunity. For, for the Wallabies, the, the tough thing with the All Blacks is how many changes they make, but the changes, unfortunately, is going to be a player like Damian McKenzie probably starting at 10, who was arguably the best player in Super Rugby. So, um, yeah, it, it'll probably be more an issue for the All Blacks in terms of combinations. Definitely never an issue of what name the player has yep. on the back of their jersey and, and who they are. Mm. Absolutely agree. So why don't we quickly just go through and we'll, let's make one prediction each about a player or a selection for next week. I'm going to jump in so you don't steal mine, anybody. And I'm going to say that we're going to see Bobby Valentini be given a rest because he's played such huge minutes for the Brumbies and the Wallabies and he does not need to push his case for selection. And we'll see Lange Gleeson start in number eight is my prediction. Uh, Mitch, we'll go to you, then Jono straight after. What's one change for next week? Uh, well, we're definitely going to see a change of tight head. And I would probably expect to see Sam Talakai come in and take that jersey, if not the bench jersey, if he wants to shift slipper across to cover it. Yep. Okay. Jono? I was hoping you were going to give me a bit more time there. Um, <laughs> I agree with the, the Valentini one. I think it was probably his... I thought it was his most dominant game with a Wallabies jersey on last night in terms of how damaging he was with his ball carrying. A lot of the times you, you see him at Brumby's level be Bobby Valentini and then just at that international level, he's obviously a little bit harder. 
I thought last night he had the same sting in his carries as he does for the Brumbies. So, yeah, I, I agree. And Lange Gleeson, um, the stuff he did for the Waratahs, I think that he's definitely someone who I'd love to, to see starting. For me, I probably mentioned it earlier, I reckon Nick White starts at nine um, yeah, with cool. Carter Gordon. And there's not yeah. too many other changes in the back line. I think that's that's the back line they'll go for this week. I wouldn't be surprised to see Ryan Lonigan come into the 23 as well. Uh, I think being the third scrum half, he needs minutes before we get to that World Cups to and to see whether Eddie wants to take him or not. So, um, yeah, interesting to see if Ryan Lonigan comes into the 23, maybe in that 21 jersey. Uh, moving along, we've got on the screen, for those that are watching on YouTube, the Wallabies played in front of 83,944 fans last night at the MCG. Jono, this is a pretty good indication of where rugby sits in the sporting landscape, I guess, and the support it can get, particularly in a sporting landscape like Melbourne. Do you think that the MCG is the front runner for the World Cup final in a few years? Or does Optus Stadium still wave a, a pretty good uh, flag over there for Western Australia? Um, Optus definitely waves the flag for WA. Don't, don't you worry about that. Um, I think I'd struggle to see it not going to, I mean, I might be wrong. Maybe it's a two horse race. Is it for the, the final and Sydney can't get it? Well, we're not, we're not really sure exactly where it is at the moment, but 80, 80, what is, what is full capacity at the MCG? 90? hundred, hundred thousands capacity at the MCG. Yeah, yeah. Um, Optus, I don't think will get the final. It'll definitely get a semi-final, um, but I would be surprised if it, a final isn't in Sydney. But you guys may know something I don't know, and if that's the case, then MCG definitely gets it. But yeah, I think Sydney and New South Wales, New South Wales, Queensland being sort of the heart of Australian rugby, as hard as it is to say for someone living in Perth at the moment and enjoying being a part of club rugby and everything over here and knowing how good the Force fans are. Um, it still is, yeah, your Suncorp and your, um, I'm not sure the name of it now, Stadium Australia will go old school Olympic days. The core. Um, <laughs> a core stadium. Yeah, I, I would struggle to see that that doesn't get the World Cup final. But, I mean, watching yep. the game last night and seeing 84,000 there will round up. Um, yeah, it was great for Melbourne. Melbourne... Sport in Melbourne is just ridiculous, um, and it's just it's such a good hub there around the MCG. And if they were to have a final, the atmosphere leading up to it for whichever countries are involved, with the ability to walk there, the trams, the tennis courts, and everything around it, it'd be an amazing place to to be there in a World Cup final. Um, yeah. And before we dive into the locker room in our next segment, it was announced last week the full Lions tour schedule for 2025. What does it mean to yourself and to the Western Australian rugby community to see the Western Force able to go up against the Lions? We know there was some talk that potentially the Western Force and the Melbourne Rebels were going to get their fixtures replaced with potentially a Pacific Island test or something else of the like. I think um, the right answer happened. Like when the Lions tour you've got to reward the players who are involved in rugby. I, you, I don't think you can just create a game that sounds good. And that sucks to say because I think um, the Fijian Drua and um, Moana Pacifica have both been amazing, especially their home games. But in terms of being a part of the Lions series last time when I was at the Reds in 2013, I know how like big it was 
when we built up for that game as the Reds, um, playing in front of Pac Suncorp. The force getting the chance to do that at Optus um, is massive for the players. And it's a reason why guys staying in Australian rugby at the moment is the Lions Tour. Yeah. So if you were to want to stay in Australian rugby because of the Lions Tour, you might not be a Wallaby, but you're obviously pushing to be in the Wallabies then, but you're in a super rugby team. To know that you're playing for the force, you still get that chance to play against the Lions in Optus with the the Barmy Army or whatever you call their their travelling fan base <laughs> um, going nuts in Optus Stadium that's packed. That's like a that's a career maker for, yeah. for a fair few guys, and I'm sure there'd be a few guys who didn't play too too much Super Rugby whose careers now are based on the fact that they can go into their office and they've got a Lions jersey that they swapped with Owen Farrell or um, Johnny Sexton because they played two years of Super Rugby and were blessed enough that in those two years they were there, they got to play the Lions. And (laughs) it's a weird one for the Force. I think 2013, I'm pretty sure the Force rested a few guys because they had a big Super Rugby game coming up. And I remember it didn't sit well with the players. It's like you back the guys to back it up because it is a once in a lifetime. Mm. So, yeah, maybe I've blabbered on a bit there, but I'm very happy when I read the schedule that the the force are getting it, the the rebels are getting it because it's the lines are traveling Australia and they're not traveling Australia, New Zealand. They're not um, traveling Oceania region. It's the lines coming to Australia. Fantastic. That's, That's exactly what we said last week as well. On the podcast, but let's uh, dive into the locker room now. And this is our section where fans send in their questions. So I'll uh, run us through this. So the first question on Twitter comes from TC and he asks, we all know that rugby in Australia needs serious structural change. What changes would John Lance do if he was in charge to improve the Wallabies and super rugby team's success in the short and medium term or and long term, even not yeah. a, not a pretty <laughs> short, medium and long. Yeah. Fix the whole there. thing, John. Come on, fix the How whole thing. How long are we going? A really weird answer I'd start with is I, I feel like I was lucky. My Super Rugby career, I feel like, is in two parts. And my first five years was two Super Rugby titles and all I knew was semifinals. And um, so I saw what it was at the start and I was young and oblivious to how lucky I was, but I did sort of take notes and do remember the times fondly, but also comparing that to the back end of my career, I feel like um, the more pressure Australian rugby's come under from underperforming, the more it's like just almost tried a bit too hard. And a weird way of putting that would be just like the holidays players get. And this is a really weird one, but I feel like it's such a weird long season in terms of... um, Super rugby short, but guys go and then play club rugby. And then you've got Wallaby guys who go away and it is disjointed and long. Guys need a good holiday, like a good four, five, six weeks to go back home, be with their family so that they're fresh to come in and go again. I feel like um, in the short term, that'd be one thing is to to give guys just a good mental break from it. Um, In terms of some of the other stuff, um, I think the Australian rugby used to have like a national academy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called the National Talent Squad. Um, and my school, it was like a, it was quite a small group. I think it's become like a much bigger 
um, talent pathway because they're obviously trying to keep guys in rugby. Um, when I was 15, it was really small, like 10 to 12 guys in each age in each state were in the national talent squad. And my year was me, Matt Tamua, Luke Morahan, Jake Schatz, Aidan Toa, Ed Quirk, um, Luke Morahan, Ben Tapuai, Rob Simmons, James Slipper, right. um, James O'Connor. Now who's who? Um, and so, like, we were a really small group at 15. And then the year above us was, um, I, I just mentioned a few of them, like, yeah, but your Slipper, Rob Simmons, Taps. Um, the year below us was, like, a Dom Shipley and a few other guys. But it just had, like, such a consistent pathway of getting guys into the academy after they finished school. And then that academy group was small as well. Um, I know that the force have, have got quite a, a smaller academy. Um, and you could argue that's because um, of the rugby pool they have here. But I know that the academy size has become huge mm. to try and convince guys to stay in rugby. But it's almost taken away from the ability to really coach the guys. Because there is only what maybe 10 guys each year who can potentially kick on to, to doing something in their state. So, yeah, really nutting down that smaller group and going back to that system because, yeah, I've, I'm obviously biased because it worked for a lot of us, but I feel yeah. like like the, the pathways is something that people speak about a lot and that pathway yeah. seemed to really work. And I think that was put in place from David Nusifora. Uh, yeah back in the day and obviously we can see what's going on with Ireland. Mm. Um, so yeah, that would so just be... get him back involved then would you long-term? <laughs> That's the fix. Um, get David back. I'll be pretty hard to get him back from Ireland to be honest, but I think there's plenty of good coaches here and there is a lot of stuff that's happening um, in that development of coaches. I think for me, I'm coaching at, at Connorslow um, in Perth at the moment and I'm a part of the Australian Rugby Coaches Development Program. Um, sometimes I drive home from training on a Tuesday, Thursday, like, geez, I'm really good at this coaching. And then other times I can drive home going, geez, I spoke for too long. But having someone who's actually helping the coaches is massive. Um, and I think yeah. that the pathways, obviously, in the medium, long term, needs to to improve um and i think it's the perfect time to do it because you're going to convince a lot of guys to stay in australian rugby because we're going mm. lions world cup at home and yep. there's nothing nothing in rugby league can equate to that um you can't go overseas in these next few years if you're wanting to be a part of that um so there's a great opportunity for australian rugby to really just nail the next few years and get guys to, to stick around because of the next decade it's going to be pretty special fantastic lots lots in there to uh to chat and think <laughs> about and to, to chew through uh andrew roth ando asked do the wallabies medical staff have some questions to answer why was ikitao left out on the field the other week tupo this week how badly do those extra few tackles exasperate their injuries ahead of the world cup and for what yeah, really good question. And we spoke about the Tupo one earlier within the podcast about uh, it seemed to be just from the sidelines of what we were looking at, some confusion about whether or not he could be replaced by Bill um, and, and some of the conversations that were happening there. But it, it's you're looking at things retrospectively. 
Like, we aren't the medical professionals that are there in the moment assessing the injury. And we we look at the injuries that they sustain um, later on within the matches or things later and go, well, we ask these questions, but we're not on the ground. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, they do have mm. questions to answer. They should probably review their processes and take a look at whether they did make the right decision. But we're never going to find out, unfortunately. <laughs> um, remember all yeah. that stuff about I've... looking into all the calf injuries and Achilles injuries in the Wolby squad under Rennie? That never came out um, because of the coaching change as well. Jono? Yeah, I think um, the, the Taniella ones, like anytime you get a rib injury in a game, unless it's a clear break, the medical staff is going to say it's just going to hurt. Like that is what you're going to get told because it's probably rib cartilage. You can't really make it worse and it's just the worst. Like it's mm. just going to hurt. Um, but because you're warm, you just got to ha- you have to keep going because if you let it cool down at any stage, you're no chance. So I think right. the Nella one's very different to the um, Ikitao one. It's also a case of who knows what the players are telling the staff. Um, I'd imagine Icky Tower, like knowing how tough and physical he is and the ability for him to actually do what he did after the injury just shows how tough he is. But you've got to assume if someone's that tough, they've probably told the medical staff, no, it's, it's not too bad. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Now, the doctor's Sharon Flahive. She's been in the yeah. Australian rugby system for two decades she's world class so she's um heading up the nrl's uh medical facilities as well so she's doing a whole bunch of work with them and the AFL. so she's definitely leading the australian medical sporting landscape at the moment yeah for fans watching it it probably wasn't a good look i reckon they were been like what's going on here get him off that's my little son in the background he's not happy he's going to bed (laughs) um (laughs) he still hasn't got yeah i think no, nah, he's not happy. But I think the two injuries, yeah. Anytime you get a rib, you're going to get your medical staff saying, we need you to just knuckle up here. We'll, we'll sort it during the week. And, and you can tell if it's a break because you know you can't breathe properly. And it'd be different to what he was going through because if it was a break, there's a chance of punctured lung and they would have been like, no, he's got to come off. Um, but yeah, I imagine Icky Tao was probably more his comment. He must have had all right mm. range and said, I'm feeling all right. Yeah. But that's just, yeah, freakish from him. Exactly. Yep. Considering it was He's broken. just ridiculous. Um, Michael yeah. Tomlinson's question is fairly similar to TC's one up the top. So we might skip that for now because Jono's, Jono pretty much answered it already. Uh, Ando, Super Rebels rugby guy says, what did the game look like on TV? Did the MCG have a tangible atmosphere uplift? Can you, could you hear or see the Mexican wave? Was the boomerang gift during the haka a good gesture? Look, I can answer the first bit, and um, I didn't actually see the boomerang gift because I was trying to put down my nephew and my youngest, uh, and I raced to see the kickoff um, with the TV blaring, so I missed it. But the game itself looked great on TV, and the atmosphere was excellent. I absolutely loved um, hearing uh, Wayne Barnes having to say to the TMO, I've got so much noise coming in my ears. You're going to have to repeat things multiple times for me, please. I can't hear you the first time. I just love that. It's just great. It just shows the atmosphere that was there. Um, and the, I did the also notice, the audience building on that, that they actually had waltzing Matilda blasting out of the speakers and sort of encouraging the fans to sing, which is a nice little touch because that's not something we've seen at Sydney for a while. 
And we, we spoke yep. last week around how the atmosphere at Sydney was pretty dead. So if RA can encourage people to sing by blasting the music out and putting the words up on the screen, then oh, yep. that's much better for it. Definitely. Yeah. I think um, it seemed loud watching it on the telly. Granted, like it's not as good because you can't see the crowd in a lot of like the angles you get, but you can yeah. hear it, which is awesome. Um, I really like the boomerang offering. Um Got, got one on my wall behind me here, actually. Yeah, it looks uh, great. Yeah. But I really think it, it's something that's, yeah, I, I thought it was perfect, to be honest. Um, a, it's us doing something. And, and B, I really get annoyed when you, every year you read that someone's not happy that the All Blacks get to do the hucker and it's an advantage. And it's usually someone who's never played a game of rugby in their life who's just thrown two bobs. He's never faced from, it. From, yeah, from social media that people just sort of latch onto because they are so good. But I'll tell you, every Australian rugby player who's ever played against the All Blacks, you never see the Wallabies nervous after it. You always, they're always smiling. They're pumped. Mm. Like you probably yeah. never... I'd love to see the heart rate monitor on Wallabies guys when they're watching the Haka. Like that's... You talk about career-defining moments and... Guys watching, um, being in front of the hucker, getting ready to represent their countries, like I'd imagine, as as good mm. as it gets. So for us to have a little gesture, I hope it I hope it continues. Um, and I really love that it, yeah, it was a, a boomerang. I thought that was perfect. I really like what we did under Dave Rennie when the team would get in a boomerang structure, and the talk around it was that we were taking the All Blacks' energy and and boomerang it back at them. Which <laughs> yeah. I thought was cool. So. I wouldn't yeah. mind seeing just the, the structure of the Wallabies when they line up as well. It's pretty cool with the captain at the front. Yeah, it was great that you, uh, you mentioned the um, having the, the riding, um, having the, the song blaring from the speakers. I, I think Australian stadiums just have so many laws around what you can do for fun um, and it really makes it hard <laughs> to, to go and have fun at a stadium. Um, as someone who's travelled through America a bit and gone to NFL games and... Um, like you need people to be able to go and watch the Wallabies, and if a dad takes his two kids, if the Wallabies lose, dad's pissed off, but his two kids are coming home having the best night of their life because there's so much going on. And I feel like rugby's become mm-hmm. this sit and watch game, and I'll cheer if my team scores because there's nothing else going on. Um, I know the yep, force yep. have really, really tried over the last few years with. Um, the entertainment side of it. And I know the fans love what goes on either side of the force games and even at halftime, like having a band playing at halftime, just making it an event. Like it needs to be an event. And as I said, I use the dad getting angry at the result because it's usually the dad dragging the kids and the family. But as long as three people are happy and dad's miserable all week, I, we can work with that. <laughs> we definitely can for the next generation loving the game. Yeah. Josh Hearn writes in and says, the first 30 minutes were great, slowed down the New Zealand plays, no clean ball, put pressure on. After we lost Allen, the mental game seemed to get shaky and then Tupo, we started to break down. Um, question, take McDermott and Carter Gordon or uh, versus White and Cooper? So do we prefer take McDermott and Carter Gordon as a combination or do we prefer Nick White and Quade Cooper? Jono, what, what are your thoughts? Um, I think sort of touched on it. I think we're going to see White and Carter Gordon. I really am curious as to what they're going to do with the, the World Cup squad. Um, for me, 
I can see them, and I think that's why they tried to get Jake Gordon into a medical joker in France. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Alonigan end up in that medical joker because mm. I wouldn't be surprised if Bernard and Quaid are both in the World Cup squad. Um, and it's a, quite a weird one. But Over Carter think, Gordon? No, sorry. Over having three nines. Oh, okay. Um, right. Yeah, I could I could see a World Cup Cup squad having Tate and Nick White having a third nine as a medical joker in a team in France, and them picking a, a Quaid, Carter, and Bernard Foley in the squad. That's, That's interesting, just, actually. I never thought of that as yeah, potentially I, why why Jake Gordon was over in Toulon. Yeah, well, he's come home with a significant mm. concussion injury. Yeah. Yeah. So I, think, I wonder if um, that's Eddie Jones getting his players lined up in case. Yeah, I think it's probably twofold. I think it's more a case of players getting a great opportunity to go do a medical joker. And when it pop up, Australian rugby being like, perfect. I don't think it's Australian rugby trying to dangle cherries to get players over there. They just, Australian rugby can say no to a player getting a medical joker. But if a nine, like a Jack Gordon, gets offered a medical joke. It's just perfect for Australian rugby. You've got him in the country. You've got him playing rugby. Um, because I think there's some weird rules. Like, you can't actually be in the country. I swear, like, England 2015, they had a group of guys based in France or something getting ready to to be involved if they needed. But there's, there's some weird rules around World Cups and what you can you do. You can't be in the same sprint. country, but you can be close by or whatever. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a weird one. I think that's me just spitballing a bit. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case because Carter's like, he's got a bit of Quaid, but he's also got a lot of Bernard with how he plays. Let's um let's wrap things up. So we've got last comment came in from Rugby Ecology and he says, let's end with this, which is a fitting ending point. All Blacks had six attack starts in, our, in, in Wallabies 22 and scored three of those times for a 50% conversion rate. The Wallabies had six attacks in the opposition 22 and scored zero times for zero conversion rate. Points first, always. Endo, any thoughts on that? No, not really. Um, one of the other things, because you did mention this earlier within the pod, so I don't think I'll delve in any deeper. Um, I'll just quickly jump up above to Hugh Tyndall's comments of um, we need a Gus Bell fan club. Yeah, I think that's completely correct, and I can't wait till he's back in a Waratah's side. And how disappointing is it that we essentially missed uh, seven years of Skelton playing Test rugby? He's getting better and better every game, and uh, I can't wait for him to absolutely eat people in the World Cup and just single-handedly tear down opposition malls. So, uh, yeah, very, very keen. And, Hugh, thanks for the comments as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, let's – Um, sorry, you got anything there, Johnny? No, I was going to just – Touching on my comment earlier just about like naming Wallabies teams that guys fear, not fear, but no, they've got a game coming up this weekend and Will Skelton is that. And so yep. every any time I think Will Skelton gets named in a team, the other forward packs just thinking about that all week and talking mm-hmm. confidently. I imagine they're talking confidently. We're going to shut him down. We're going to shut him down. But yeah, they're saying we're going to shut him down and then there's... <laughs> Dealing with him, Doing so it. he looks really fit at the moment. And maybe I'm that's a tactic that Eddie should start employing in the warm up too. Just throw Eddie up a few times in the lineout because any team that sees <laughs> a team lifting Will Skelton should be worried. Yeah, 
love it i love it well why don't we wrap things up there we've got to the end of pod and we've somehow somehow turned a 31 point defeat into a uh topic of positive opportunities moving forward for the wallabies so there's always hope there's always something to be looking forward to yeah, that's that's exactly it. We're bloody diehards, and I'm not looking forward to the chat going into uh, the workplace tomorrow about everybody talking about the Wallabies. But we we fly the flag proud and true, regardless. So, Jono, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, and um, mate, all the best for all the work you're doing at Cottesloe and um, keeping things going well with Stan Sport over in the West. Cheers, guys. I just need a few injuries in the commentary group somehow and they can get me over to France somehow. We'll see if we can see you over there. Uh, <laughs> see if we can get Morgs on. And, Cheers, guys. Know, Thanks for having me. Um, always a pleasure. Have a good night, eh? Thanks, All the best, Jono. mate. Go well. Thank you. Catches.